Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will help set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and leading practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Honey in the house, happy to be here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I think it's the 30th of July. I don't know where the year is going, but we've made it past the halfway mark in 2021. Happy to be here. Quick note of interest, Deloitte has been recognized by SAP as the number one global partner. Follow Deloitte on Twitter at Deloitte SAP. That's easy. So we have an interesting topic for you. It will resonate with you wherever you are if you buy anything retail. Oh my goodness, you're probably doing something right now in the background as you're listening or as you're seeing this video. So let me give you a little background and then we'll introduce our three esteemed guests. From digital and in-store shopping experiences to overnight product delivery, and now you can get it in 10 minutes, to customer service, Customer expectations keep rising, and this is forcing retailers to continuously adapt. Yes. As businesses of all size face a new competitive landscape, the pressure to innovate fast, operate flexibly, and cultivate, and here's an interesting phrase, customers for life. We're going to talk about that today, has grown. Stay with us for the next almost hour to hear Deloitte transformation leaders, and we have three with us today, discuss how organizations can evolve to address emerging retail and technology trends. Our conversation will cover strategies for unifying and elevating omni-channel engagement. That's what I was talking about in the beginning, creating more personalized customer experiences and taking loyalty programs up to the next level. You'll hear and discover ideas for aligning your operations, your workforce, very important, and intelligent technologies to boost efficiencies and take advantage of new opportunities as they arrive, which is by the nanosecond, I think. And you'll learn how intelligent solutions such as AI, that's artificial intelligence, enabled inventory management, and click and collect capabilities can help you make an impact in both the back office and the front office. We have today with us Marcella Cordero for the video. Wave hello, Marcella. There she is. We have Sean Carnwright. Sean, wave hello. His last name is C-A-R-N-R-I-T-E if you want to find him. And we have Duncan Stewart. Say hello, Duncan. And we're going to ask them for their take on our topic today, the Kinetic Enterprise, getting ahead of retail trends to create customers for life. And anybody who's in the retail business, I can hear you saying, oh, if only, oh, I wish, oh, that would be my goal. Well, you're here to learn about how to do that. So thank you all. And a shout out to the showrunner for this series right now is Hasmin Bolianos at Deloitte. We're very happy to have her in the background with us. And Helen Tomas is one of our longtime sponsors. So let's get started here. First up, Marcella Cordero, we're very honored to have you. And I'm going to put you on speaker view. Would you please do me the pleasure of introducing yourself to our listeners and a little bit about your passion for our topic, Customers for Life. Welcome, Marcella. Hello, Bonnie. Hello, everybody at home. I'm Marcela Cordero. I lead the retail practice in Deloitte, Chile. I've been with the firm for around uh, 10 years. Before that, I did some investment banking in, in New York. Well, I'm a woman, so we're passionate about retail and shopping. <laughs> but what I love about my job is that I, um, I love to um, create great experiences for the clients of organizations that we help uh, transform. And lately, 
especially after COVID, we've been uh, very lucky to to help them to transform into digital and more e-commerce or omnichannel oriented organizations. Thank you very much. And as you say, we're, hey, retail, it, it's some people just live for their retail, right? And we have so many ways of being engaged with retail right now. I did hear that there is a new startup somewhere, not in North America, where they promise they will deliver in 10 minutes and they are moving to the United States and they are franchising around the world. That's why I mentioned it at the opening. Very interesting. I can think of saying, Marcella, I'm baking you a cake. Oh, but I ran out of eggs. Oh, I'll call this service. Oh, there's the doorbell. The eggs are here. Can you even imagine that? Okay, let's move on. Let's go to Sean Carnwright. Sean, we're so happy to have you here. Please also do us the honor of introducing yourself and what's your passion for our topic. Go ahead. For sure. Thanks for having me on today. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. But uh, in terms of myself, I've been in the SAP space for over 14 years. Um, you know, it's been a lot of time in the consumer industry, uh, retail, CPG, and looking at the, the whole ecosystem. And so for me, what my passion is, is making sure that we can get the right products to the right customers and, uh, and then also helping companies transform. And, uh, you know, as we've seen with COVID and uh, many other changes happening, that uh, rapidly retail and the retail marketplace is changing. And, uh, and I think it's important that, you know, we set our customers up for the right transformation opportunity and to capture what you've mentioned at the top was uh, customers for life. Thank you very much. Nice to have you on, Sean. And let's go to Duncan Stewart. Duncan, smiling. There you are. I hope everybody gets to see the video. You're all smiling, actually. Duncan, please introduce yourself and what's your passion for being here. Welcome. Hey, Bonnie D. Thanks for having me on. Great to be here today. Um, I'm the director of research for Tech Media Talent, which means I'm kind of like a futurist at Deloitte. I'm always taking a look at what's the next big trend. Uh, what do I see coming over the next one, three, five, 10, 20 years? What's my passion? Technology, obviously. What's my passion for retail? Well, I'm pretty fortunate, Bonnie. Uh, I happen to have, a, I'm bragging a little here, the world's single most beautiful and gorgeous wife. And I love buying her pretty new dresses to wear on date night. And one of the things the pandemic has taught me is what how great it is to be able to go online and buy stuff from France and Spain and Australia and have it show up in a week or two and then have my wife waltz down the stairs wearing her pretty new dress and having dinner with her. So that's, I'm combining my passion for my wife with my passion for retail, which is kind of nice all at the same time. <laughs> it's very nice. Thank you very much. It's Duncan Stewart. Thank you, Duncan. I feel like we just went into the Duncan Stewart show. Great, great. All I can say is thank you. Thank you all for your bio presentations. Now let's go to our opening quotes. If our listeners are new to the Kinetic Enterprise, I've asked my guests in advance to send us a quote from a movie or TV character or a song lyric, something that may resonate with you and our audience around the world. Maybe you've heard of the movie, heard of the song, you want to hear it, see it, watch it. Well, listen up. We have some really interesting quotes. And the quotes have nothing to do with shopping and retail, but our guests are going to relate the quote to the topic in their own words. So they may be philosophical, they may be prosaic, they may be poetic, prosaic. They may do, we don't know what we're getting, or even funny, I'm not sure. So let's go. Marcella Cordero has sent us a quote from The Oracle, played by Gloria Foster in The Matrix, a media franchise. They say it's a cyberpunk story. And there were three movies in 1999, and two of them were released in 2003. That's a feat in itself. Series features of cyber 
cyberpunk story of the technological fall of mankind, I hope they still had retail, in which the creation of artificial intelligence led the way to a race of self-aware machines that imprisoned mankind in a virtual reality system, the Matrix, to be farmed as a power source. Oh my, I'm scared. Here's the quote. You got the gift, but it looks like you're waiting for something. Marcella, help me out here. What does this have to do with our topic? Well, Duncan is the futurist, but I'm going to tell you what uh, it means to me. So all um, organizations that are really successful and looking to transform into omnichannel organizations or even be better um, omnichannel and e-commerce are organizations that, been, that have been successful already. You know, they make money, they give a, a special experience to their clients, that why they are still in business but they were waiting for something maybe it was COVID maybe now it's the expectations of their clients to be better to provide a better experience end to end that's why the quote was was significant for me they, they were waiting for something they got COVID accelerated the e-commerce um, business for them and now they they just need to be better Thank you very much. Need to be better. Yes. And as I mentioned, as you mentioned, the competitiveness in the world, you've got to be at least as good as you can be, if not better than you thought you could be, because somebody will emerge. And we all know there's such a blurring of industry lines, right? In every industry, the past few years, newcomers to so many industries, who knew a startup was going to encroach on what you're doing in your business. So yes, always top of mind, how can we be better? And let's go to Sean Carnwright. Sean has sent us a quote. Oh, one of the quotes we love. Ferris Bueller, played by Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 1986. I, I never, I never get why they said it. it's just a, an American teen comedy film. I think it's more about life than just teens. About a high school slacker who skips school for a day in Chicago, and it's also considered a love letter to Chicago because of all the scenery. Here's the quote. This is iconic. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Sean, we don't want to miss out on you telling us what this has to do with our topic. Go ahead. Yes, thanks for that. Um, you know, I think that this one's interesting because, you know, the, the, the world of retail is moving really fast. And, you know, I think that sometimes we miss the boat on what customers actually want and we start trying to assume what they want. And so my point on this whole quote is, you know, take a stop, take a pause, ask your customer what they want, and then you're better positioned for making their um, experience more personalized and be able to really adapt to to your customer and, and be able to provide them, you know, on a timely basis, what they need and what they want. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And again, we love that quote. Just the idea that, that it was important that a kid was a slacker for a day. The fact that they made a movie about that. Think of, <laughs> think of where everybody is and what everybody's doing today. Everything is remote, of course. So I'll stop there. Duncan Stewart has sent us a wonderful quote from The Wizard, played by Frank Morgan, in The Wizard of Oz, 1939 American musical fantasy film, of course, including Judy Garland, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, which was called Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer in those days, not just MGM. It's seen often as one of the greatest films of all time, the most commercially successful adaptation of L. Frank Baum's 1900, wow, children's fantasy film, the novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, starring Judy Garland as Dorothy Gale, Frank Morgan, Ray Bolger, Jack Haley, Burt Lahr, and Margaret Hamilton. My former mother-in-law, late former mother-in-law, knew Margaret Hamilton. She always used to say to us, I knew the lady who played the witch, so there you go. So here is the scene. The scene is when Toto, Dorothy's little dog, you know, 
Toto, I think we're not in Kansas anymore. Toto pulls away the curtain and there's a little man standing on a podium talking to a microphone, the voice of the wizard. So the man, in defense of his his duplicity, if I can, if I may, says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And he pulls the curtain shut. Duncan, interesting quote. Talk to us. What does this mean? Well, The Wizard of Oz was my mother's favorite film. So as a young man, I listened or watched it over 14,312 times. So that's part of why it's there. (laughs) The other thing, though, is if you remember the scene, remember, they're all there. And Bert Lars, the cowardly line, there's the big wizard with the smoke and the noise. And and poor Bert Lars, he's just terrified and he runs away. And then Toto pulls the curtain back and they realize it's just a guy. It's just it's okay. And I kind of think that retail and technology in general is a little bit like that. There's there's this terrifying technology that we don't really understand and most of us are scared by. So I kind of picture myself as sort of like Toto. I'm I'm pulling the curtain. Okay, I'm a little bigger and a little less yappy, I hope. Uh, I don't fit inside a purse. But the idea is we're pulling the curtain back on technology and showing that it's a little less scary than people thought it was. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Thank you all for your quotes and for thinking about what the quote meant to our topic. I, I think this is one of the most fun parts of the show is when we get to hear how you all think outside of that box. And if anybody in the audience hasn't seen that movie, Duncan, is it streaming somewhere? Is it in a red box at a street corner somewhere? Where is it? <laughs> I think it's I think you can find it on YouTube. So that, that's where that's my go to. Probably. Thank you very much. And I appreciate that you didn't pick the usual Toto. We're not in Kansas anymore. Thank you for finding a new quote. I think that isn't there a song? Pay no it. Pay no attention to the man behind the. I think there's a song that says something about the man behind. I'll find it for you later. Thank you all. Now we're getting to the really heavy, important part of the show. It's all important. Marcella Cordero. I'm picking statement number one. We are very early today getting to this part of the show, so we have a lot to talk about. By the way, if you're just tuning in, this is the Kinetic Enterprise presented by Deloitte, and our topic today is getting ahead of retail trends to create customers for life. Just let that sink in. Whether you're the retailer and that's your goal or whether you're the customer and you want to be a customer for life. Isn't that an interesting perspective panel? We didn't, we don't really talk about that. You're the customer and you want to be a customer for life because you want to love what they produce, what they sell, what they do. You want to love their values. You want to love their technology. You want to love the delivery, the, the integrity of everything. I want to be a customer for life of certain brands. So anybody want to make a comment about that before I get to Marcella's statement? Anybody? Okay, well, I want to be a customer for life of the companies I do business with. I think no recalls and no no oopses along the way. We'll just go there. Marcella sent me the following statement. The omni-channel client experience is dreamed by the business and enabled by the operation, the technology, and the people. All of them are equally important. Big statement. Marcella, would you please unpack this? And then what's going to happen is I will invite Sean to agree or disagree and add your thought leadership. And Duncan, you get to speak to what both of them have said. So let's go. Marcella, you're up. Sean, you need to agree, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Bonnie. So so what happened is that um, every, every retail business because of because of the pandemic, they wanted to grow their market share or keep the business that they had before the pandemic, right? And there was a lot of uh, effort put on building a front end solution so they could 
sell their their products and um so a lot of investment went into the front of the business now what happened was that the back office and customer service had a hard time catching up because you want to sell of course it's your business you want to keep at least the business and the clients that you have but then they sort of had to overlook a little bit what happened in the back office in customer service etc that caused huge stress in the organization everybody trying to close books do transaction reconciliation hiring more people to answer the sea of questions that the client had about the products or about you know a product that was returned defective that needed some fitting and all of that on top of the um as usual customer care that you give to your clients right so um what happened was that when when you think about about selling that's like one part of the process but then when you sell an item things happen in a company uh you have to you change your books your inventory changes um when a product is returned there's even taxes consequences to that return right and what is happening for the last year or so is that on this in, uh, incremental sales on e-commerce all these other functions were were kind of less left behind and now trying to catch up right so um this is a bit of the consequences of not born digital companies that were born digital they don't have these issues so companies that are you know a traditional retailer that now are in this e-commerce wagon are trying to to catch up and one of them are doing better jobs but all of that impact your your client experience at the end of the day so what i've seen at this in my region and everything that i said is a bit with you know with the bias of the region that that i am is that um is that you know they are catching up and some of them are not doing a great job some of them are doing a better job and leveraged by um artificial intelligence or bots and others marcella very very interesting points and what jumped out for me was when you said born digital i haven't heard that statement that phrase describing a company we talk about people cutting their teeth on technology right when one of my granddaughters was two they sent me a picture she fell asleep on a keyboard and she was like ah but <laughs> it, it was really cute by by the time her sister was seven she had her own computer in a room and she was playing my little pony on her own at six or seven three four years old they cut their teeth but talk about a company born digital interesting let's get comments agree or disagree from Sean and don't be afraid of Marcella to disagree with her it's okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm far enough <laughs> yeah so 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 I would say I definitely agree I agree with the statement completely I think that um you know the whole born digital thing is is actually really interesting because you know even in you know different regions of the world where you know so we're in Canada in Canada and um you know one of the things that's interesting here is in the grocery space in the grocery retail space it's been typically very much a traditional business model where you go to the store and you buy your food and you go home whereas now they're at a point in time where they're shifting to say you know how can we get into this whole click and collect how can we be able to you know manage our deliveries but also still fulfill the stores and um and so what we're seeing is you know a lot of these companies are trying to reestablish their supply chain and i think this goes to marcella's comment around the back end and you know for these guys they had to transform everything they've had to go from 
you know, online marketplaces and be able to purchase products and food and, and then also be able to figure out how to distribute that and distribute it to the customer's home and what we call the last mile. And, um, and that became a huge challenge. And so it's been very incremental in the sense that, you know, these traditional companies who are used to brick and mortar have to find a way to do this whole click and collect. And so sometimes it became a, you know, buy online and then go pick up at the store. But now they're even trying to move to the point of buy online, get it sent to your home and, uh, and be able to manage that within a warehouse that's specifically built for online orders. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting because the omni-channel piece is so important and we do have people wanting to be able to go to the store, buy online, you know, and uh, even just find, you know, other areas where they can just do pickups. But um, the idea of omni-channel is so new. And I, I mean, I speak specifically around the grocery industry in Canada, but I think it's true across a lot of retail. But, um, you know, it's one of these things where, you know, if you don't get the whole problem fixed, then the customer experience is not going to really be optimal and people are going to get frustrated and end up going to somewhere else to buy the products. Very interesting points. Thank you, Duncan Stewart. Join us. Agree or disagree with Marcella and or with Sean. You got a lot to choose from. Go ahead. I, w- I want to. I wanna- Bonnie, I want to agree and extend. So let's start off with the agree. The agree is I'm the tech guy. So I show up and I talk to people and I go, tech, 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 tech. And they're like, shut up. How does this fit with people? How does this fit with operations? Because it's like a stool. You can't just have one of the three or it falls over. The extend is, and I know we're talking retail here, but Hey, kids, we're all omni-channel now. I talk to banks, they're omni-channel. Talk to media companies, they're omni-channel. This is not just a retail phenomena. Everybody out there is thinking, how do I go digital? And how do I reach my audience? Let's talk about media for a second. You want to see it in a theater? That's great. You want to watch it the next day? That's great, too. You want to watch it at home the same day? Let's figure this out. That whole idea of I have a product and I will get it via any channel to as many people as possible is the 21st century. Absolutely. Thank you. Marcella, great conversation starter. Anything you'd like to say back to your two esteemed co-panelists? Thank you for agreeing first. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're good. No, I, 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 yes, I agree with everything they, they said. Um, you know, for a, for a company to be really omnichannel, they need to think in the process of selling end to end, right? And also think on, on the employees. There, there has been a lot of extra hours of work on top of all the stress from the pandemic, right? So it's time that we apply a little bit of technology or a lot of technology to make uh, employees' life easier and also you're not omnichannel if your culture is not omnichannel. So also, you know, work hard on making sure that every employee in your company knows that you serve that client no matter where that client bought that product, in which channel. Very good points. This is a huge topic when we think about it. Look at all the angles. Look at all the aspects of what we're talking about. The employee, the producer, the shipper, the retailer, the box store, the one who's sending things out, the delivery person, the receiving person, a lot. 
Thank you. Let's move on, Sean Conright. I'm, li- Con- Conright. I'm looking at your <laughs> statement number two. You say, and we've talked about this a little bit. Let's do a deep dive. You say the importance, <clears throat> excuse me, of same day delivery for customers is driving the success of Amazon. Okay, we all know that. However, here's the however: it is impairing the ability of small companies to compete and pay for express shipping of their products. Sean, let's take this angle. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So, so I think, I mean, we're in a very big culture of immediacy and uh, whether it's immediate data, you know, you want your stuff now, you want to get your products now and, and Amazon's really capitalized on that. And, you know, what's interesting is as much as e-commerce opens the door for smaller companies to, to be able to sell to a broader audience, one of the challenges in this immediacy culture is the ability of being able to get your product right away. And, you know, everyone signs up for Amazon Prime because they want to get free delivery and they want to be able to get it real fast. So on the same day or, or two day. Right. And um, and so what happens in this case is these smaller companies, as much as they've grown their reach of customer base, they will go on and then they'll tell you you have to pay 15 or 25 or 30 dollars for shipping. And uh, and it's the reason why is because they can't absorb the cost of what that shipping is. And so as a consumer, I can't, you know, go into there and say, you know what, I'm going to buy from this company because I don't want to pay for shipping. I mean, it's just naturally I don't want to pay that extra 25 bucks. You know, otherwise I can go to the store and pick it up. And so I think that what we're seeing here is a really weird dynamic in the sense that you've got, you know, this great world of e-commerce and the acceleration of e-commerce through COVID. But the challenge being, how do you get the customer the product? And do it in a very you know cheap fashion in the sense that it's getting there fast, it's getting there for free, and uh, and Amazon's done a good job with that because you sign up for Prime, and uh, and I think if other smaller companies would be able to have that ecosystem and and sell some sort of a membership, maybe they get by that. But the but the reality is that with Amazon, they've got this massive ecosystem. They've got Amazon you know TV. They've got everything else that goes along with Prime. So your seven ninety nine becomes a lot better value than if you're buying it from, you know, ma pa shop down the road where you're going to buy one thing every six months. And so, so I think that, um, you know, it's an interesting time because, uh, you know, the, the immediacy culture is very much as I'm buying things online, I'm looking and saying, can I get this tomorrow? Can I get this for free tomorrow? And, uh, and so to me, I think that hinders the ability of these smaller players to be able to take advantage of what e-commerce really is. Thank you very much. And I'm thinking the free comes with a caveat, right, Sean? You subscribe to Amazon Prime. You pay a fee up front each year. Exactly. Think of the massive amount of income that comes into this pile, this pot called free delivery from millions of people. Right. And then they decide how they're going to get that product to you, Sean Carnwright, out of that pile of money they collected. I'm not saying anything bad here, but they have basically asked us to all bank ahead of time on the on the expectation we will need and want to have something delivered quickly. So For sure. we may or may not use what our subscription fee was, but somebody else will. It's like insurance. Okay, I'm pontificating too much here. Duncan, support. <laughs> right now in time, Duncan, you may not be aware of it, but you are sitting virtually right next to Sean Conrad. It's a very, very honored seat. So would you please please come in and agree or disagree? Go ahead, Duncan. Uh, it's it's actually a much bigger question because it's it's not just delivery. In many ways, whether we're talking about free delivery or next day delivery or 10-minute delivery, Bonnie D, to the comment you made at the start, 10-minute delivery is not going to be available to mom and pa up the street. 
But in the same way, we're seeing this across all kinds of technologies where the really, really big companies are getting so big, so fast, so dominant, so profitable that we are wondering, what, what do the small players do? And that's not just in, in retail delivery. Uh, that would also be in cloud and, and, and every kind of technology out there. This appears to be kind of an inexorable trend. The big get bigger and the small have trouble competing. Uh, that's kind of my take. It so it's it's I'm I'm agreeing with Sean, and I'm just a little bit terrified at the same time. <laughs> Interesting. Didn't expect that word today. Marcella Cordero, join us. Agree or disagree with either or both of your co-panelists? Agree. We, we tend to forget that um, activities have an economic value, right? So when you think of picking up your whatever at the store, right? Uh, do the takeout and be, you know, uh, doing the line and then delivering that to your house, it has an economic value. And we assume that when when we do e-commerce, somebody's going to pay for it and we don't want to pay for it. <laughs> and uh, so what happened is that um, right now, at least uh, here in my market, some of that uh, last mile or delivery is getting subsidized, even because the, the, you know, the app or whoever is doing that work or even the retailer, right? They want to capture the clients, right? So it's like, I want you to stay with me. And at this moment, I'm going to be subsidizing um, the, the amount of money that it will cost to bring that product to your house, right? My, I have the question, what will happen when this doesn't happen, when that money is not available anymore? Because now mostly it's available from, from investors and or the retailer. Um, I know the case in another country in, in Latin America where when that um, uh, when, the, when the money wasn't available anymore, people started thinking like, do I really want to pay that amount of money for, for, for my groceries to be taken from the supermarket home? I don't think so. I'll rather just drive there and pick them up myself, right? So it's a question also how much you are uh, willing to pay for convenience, right? Um, no, so, so that would that would be my take. I know that competitors like Amazon they are very hard to compete with just because of the sheer size. Um, but also, there like especially when you look at the new generation tendencies, millennials and and other generations, they they, they are more willing to uh, to pay for convenience if it's coming from a place or a company they feel closer to their heart. <laughs> So, so we'll see what happened. Everything very interesting at this point. That was an interesting comment. Closer to your heart. Are we talking values, Marcella? We're we talking about I like this company, or I know the person who runs it, or I know that they contribute to a certain charitable organization, or they take a percent of their profits and they donate them to this or that. Is that part of the feeling closer to a company? And and you're not going to get that with a big company, are you? Because you can't identify a person. I just want to make a comment about delivery, Sean, before we go back to you. I, I work from my home broadcast studio here, and I have a window out to the front of the house to the street. And I get to see who's delivering my Amazon deliveries. And some days it's a truck that's branded and marked. And some days it's some guy in a station wagon <laughs> without a purple uniform who pulls up in my driveway. And I say to myself, I'm not expecting anybody. Who could that be? You know, I, I, I'm here sitting alone. I, I don't want any intruders here. And I'm watching and I'm saying, what are they doing here? And the next thing they're coming out of the station wagon holding a box that's 
stamped Amazon. They come up to the door. Some of them take a picture when they drop it off. Some don't. Some post the picture on delivered to you. And sometimes they mix up my number with my neighbor. So I got her grapefruit juice once and she got my orange juice and we had to go do an exchange. And I had to take it down <laughs> to her house and say, say, John, I got your wife, Chloe's grapefruit juice, which I don't drink in five gallon capacity. Do you have my orange juice? And he said, show me a picture of the delivery. He didn't believe me. So we had to swap pictures of the delivery on our wow. front white benches in front of our houses, which was fascinating to me. That only happened once. But anyway, thank you, Sean. This was your topic obviously resonates with everybody in so many ways. Anything else you want to add? Uh, the only thing that I would like to add, I mean, is to Duncan's point, I think that um, the idea of the small companies and, you know, them having a hard time competing and the big guys getting bigger in this sense, what Amazon's done is basically made a marketplace. And I think there's you know, a few other places that do this as well, but uh, where the small companies are actually selling on the large companies marketplace. And so to, to Duncan's point, he actually, you know, has alluded to a good point is the fact that they are growing and they're getting bigger because they're getting a piece of that revenue as well. So they're starting to take from the smaller guys. And I think uh, to, to his point, it is a little bit terrifying to see how the divide is going to move over the next couple of years. Yes, we're going to have a lot to observe in the next probably 12 months, right, as the world does or doesn't come out of that, that tunnel from last year. Let's move on. Duncan Stewart, I'm looking at your statement number one. Let's go to the cloud. You say some companies are moving to the cloud faster because they want to, but a lot of companies are nervous about moving until the pandemic forced them to, and they discovered it wasn't as bad as they had worried about. Another group is cloud hesitant. You sure we're talking about cloud here? Cloud hesitant, but they're being dragged along by their enterprise software vendors. That is a provocative statement, Mr. Stewart. Go ahead and unpack it for us, please. Just before I do, I, need, I, I don't normally do this, but I'm gonna fire hose some numbers at everybody here. Okay, so some stuff last March, April, May, June was really accelerated by the pandemic. Things like gaming and video streaming, and they saw a huge 50, 60% growth. But this year, they've already come out and they're announcing their numbers and they're like, remember how we grew 50% last year? Well, this year it's like five because like, you know, we, we, we did a lot last year and we're catching up now. Okay, cool. Remember the cloud companies last year? Well, they grew like 30, 40, 50%. This year, they're growing 40, 50, 60. It's actually growing faster than it was a year before. Duncan, how do you explain that? Statement number one, a whole <laughs> bunch of people who were moving to the cloud have discovered not unlike, you know, hey, come on in, the water's fine. Yes, you need to worry about vendor lock-in and you need to worry about pricing and you need to worry about reliability and security and data sovereignty. That's all true, but those are manageable risks, it turns out, for many, many companies worldwide. So not only were they accelerated last year, they have discovered that the cloud is not as scary as the old Wizard of Oz was. They've pulled back the curtain and they're like, no, I can manage these risks. And so they've accelerated their digital transformation roadmap. Now, you were making a joke. Are you sure you're not talking about vaccine hesitancy? But that's <laughs> where I was going. I'm, there are these people who are like, no, cloud, bad. But whether or not they've decided their ERP vendor, their BI vendor, that's enterprise resource planning, their business intelligence, their uh, human resource system, their AI system, all of these vendors are moving to the cloud and they're showing up at a company who goes, I don't want anything to do with the cloud. And the vendor is saying, you know what? 
You're going whether you want to or not because all of your systems are now on the cloud. I call this vendor drag along. And it's, it's <laughs> like, I've got a dog. I've got a 120 pound Bernie's mountain dog. I'm a big guy, but if Grace decides to start chasing squirrels, you know what? Duncan's chasing squirrels right along with her. So it's that <laughs> idea of some of us are being pulled along into the cloud, whether we want to or not. <laughs> I think we just have to sit and think about that for a second. We're all we're all seeing somebody. We're seeing you with Grace going looking for squirrels. That was very interesting pictorial there, Duncan. Let's go around the table. Marcella Cordero, at this moment, you are sitting virtually right next to Mr. Stewart. So why don't you go ahead and agree or disagree with any or all, or you can ask him, I don't know, anything about Grace, whether she was wearing a sweater that day or what she had for breakfast. Go ahead, Marcella. I, look, I absolutely agree with him. Um, but, but most organizations that I look here I being, are being dragged by big software houses into the cloud when they want to either uh, upgrade or migrate what they have right now, right? Um, what I'm going to elaborate a bit, it's about uh, the complexities of migrating some legacy applications into the cloud, right? Um, um, I've seen a few companies really struggle with that because at the end of the day, uh, it's easy. And maybe here's where I'm gonna disagree a little bit with Duncan. Uh, it's not that easy, right? Like when it's like, it's not a copy and paste. Let's say that it's, it has to be done. No question about it for all the reasons that Duncan mentioned. Uh, security, flexibility, um, etc. But um, but like the uh, basically the planning on how the, and this is a this is a technical term pick and drop right because you pick your application and then you drop it into the cloud. It's not you, that planning of how you're going to do it because of the data flows between your applications, your access to that data, and even your um, your controls or the data, uh, you know, it needs to be done in a way that is not disruptive to the business and it needs to be well planned, like everything really. But uh, it, there is where the complexity lies with, with, with the cloud. But I agree, Duncan, 99.9%. Wow. Duncan, <laughs> will you take that percent? Is that a good odds there? Good enough for today. I, I think so. We'll work on that. Sean Carnwright, join us. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so I, I tend to agree. I think, uh, I mean, both people, both both folks made really good comments. I think that um, the uh, the nature of cloud is always going to be on the rise. I think that's just the the shift that we're seeing in the world as a whole. But um, I think that the focus on hybrid cloud is also one that's going to be really important. And uh, Marcella brought up a good point on some legacy applications being hard to be brought to the cloud. And uh, and I think we're always going to see some form of hybrid cloud where there's going to be still some on-premise and there's still going to be, you know, either a private cloud or a public cloud uh, agreement with um, other applications. And, uh, and so to me, that's, um, there's some fear. There's obviously the fear. And I think the vaccine story was a pretty good one. Um, but uh, there's fear in terms of giving up control. And when you get into large organizations that have always been in their own data centers and they feel like it's more secure, the, that's going to be a constant conversation. But I will tell you the shift is happening because, you know, we at Deloitte, we do, you know, business across many different sectors and many large entities. But what we see is that, um, you know, customers are talking about it and they want to move and they will move. 
And, uh, and me being in the SAP space, I can tell you that the comment of the vendors bringing them along is, uh, is very true. And, you know, they're basically selling all of their net new licenses with a hosted agreement. And, uh, and they have, and you have no choice. And so it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think Oracle is doing the same, but, um, you know, if you're doing a net new implementation of an ERP program, chances are you're going to be focused on a, a cloud version of some kind, whether it's a public cloud or a, or a private cloud. And uh, I think if you're looking in the enterprise space from an SAP lens, most of the time it's a private cloud. But um, but the the innate move is going to happen. It's, uh, it's, it's not much of a choice at this stage of the game. Therefore, but for the grace of grace goes Duncan after the squirrel and (laughs) into the cloud. There we go. Duncan, this was your topic. Anything you want to say back to Marcella and or to Sean? Just a bit on Sean. I mean, it's even worse, kind of more complicated. So you got your public cloud, you got your private cloud, you got your hybrid cloud, you got your multi-cloud, and then you've got, we haven't even talked about this, and I don't think we have time today. Maybe it's another podcast, the Intelligent Edge People are locating devices and boxes at the extreme edge of their networks. It could be in a retail store. It could be in a warehouse. It could be on a robot. And they are putting that AI processing closer and closer and closer to the edge of their network. And that's a whole other architectural issue. So it's uh, to, to quote Marcella, uh, uh, this ain't easy. It's complicated. <laughs> there you go. Thank you very much. It was a great conversation about cloud. Let's. We have a little more time. Marcella and I have uh, noodled behind the scenes here on where we're going to go, and she likes her statement number two, so that's where we're going. Marcella says, emerging competitors, big and small, are pushing the retailers to keep their ways of doing things on 2F. That's fast and flexible. We could add Furious in there, make it 3F, fast, furious, flexible. <laughs> No movie intended. Innovation is key, but also how the back office adapts to the new business ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Let's talk back office. Marcella. Yeah, so I was uh, vacationing in Patagonia last week, right? And um, over there, you have a bunch of uh, small stores that sell local products, like local wool, uh, wool sweaters, uh, jewelry, amazing fossil wood uh, artifacts like lamps and everything. And I was just so impressed because like every time I walk into a store, uh, I will buy something or not, but they will give me uh, a QR code saying, hey, this is my QR code. I, uh, you can buy online, you know, using Instagram, whatever. I deliver globally. And it was like, my God, I'm a, a, at the end of the world. And like for Duncan wife, if you want to, I'll send you the QR code. <laughs> and they deliver all over the world. So um, that is an analogy for, for other emerging, um, you know, retailers like um, Dark Kitchen. They're also called uh, ghost kitchens, right? That during the pandemic, at least here, became very popular, right? Because... Um, some restaurants, obviously, they couldn't have people over, so they transformed their kitchen into their these dark kitchens. For the people in the audience that don't know what the dark kitchen is, it's basically a kitchen that acts like a restaurant but doesn't service clients at premises. They use last milers or, you know, others to deliver that food, right? 
And when you think on the grocery business and how it will get disrupted by these dark kitchen and restaurants and Uber Eats and why not, right? Because you're not going to buy groceries and buy food, right, uh, to prepare at home. And also when you think on how um, working remotely, not working at the office or having a hybrid a lifestyle would impact how much you really want to keep working in your house after you've been, you know, in front of the computer for nine hours and then, you know, going to your kitchen and keep cooking. We don't know. We don't know if people are going to want to to keep cooking at home. It will be a lot more convenient and relaxing to order food from, from somebody else. So, that's how, you know, for instance, grocery retailer will be disrupted. How much of this share wallet uh, will be given to dark kitchens, restaurants, or grocers, right? How much they will be able to keep. And I have another, I'm thinking about this, Bonnie, something else just, you know, light up in my mind. And it has to do with something called Oreca in Chile. Oreca is the, the, the grocery stores that serves uh, hotels, restaurants and cafeterias, right? And how they can disrupt themselves to serve also, for instance, dark kitchens, right? And so, you know, I was thinking in all of that and how, um, how all retailers need to think and be agile to compete with this new, um, this new people in the market that we didn't think you know, a year ago, and it will keep happening. Um, and for that, you need to have, like we talked before, your end-to-end company ready to to do this change. Because, for instance, before COVID, uh, uh, supermarkets went, were doing something called commissary, which is, you know, kitchens at the supermarket where you can take your food, prepare to your house. And that, that was the a, a way to compete with it. But, you know, and... Uh, Sean, it's clear how complex is the management of fresh products, right? Put a, a, a layer of complexity on fresh products they having to cook. <laughs> In this, so it's 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 really interesting, and uh, for me, just what I'm trying to say is how they adapt to this new reality. Um, yeah. Thank you, Marcella. I'm still thinking back to about three minutes ago, you said after nine hours in front of the computer, you mean I can scale my workday back to nine hours? Wow, that would be, and then I would have more time to cook. I'm sorry, it just jumped out at me. I wasn't talking about me, Bonnie. <laughs> I, didn't think, I don't think any of us either. Sean Cartwright, join us. So let's, we have, um, look at the clock. We've got about eight minutes left. So let's get two or three minutes, two minutes around the table, and then we'll do some Sure. So, so a couple of points that you brought up around dark kitchens and just the change in, and especially restaurants, what I found really interesting and what's happened here in, in Canada and um, certainly Ontario was, um, you know, when the COVID happened and then there was the shutdown and restaurants were all shut down, they actually started being able to sell to customers and basically just prep and sell and then, you know, you take home um, or you go through the Uber Eats or what we call skip the dishes here. But uh, one of the things that caused a really big uproar was actually that they allowed uh, restaurants to start selling alcohol because in in uh, in Canada it's pretty regulated and so you got to buy through certain stores like government-owned stores and um, and so what's interesting is that they allowed them to start selling them selling alcohol and then that started taking sales away from the Ontario stores and uh, and so what happened was the Ontario stores then ended up jumping on the bandwagon. 
to start selling their product through Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats as well, taking revenue away from the restaurants. And so it created a whole bunch of uproar around consumers and, uh, and people, you know, seeing who their allegiance was to and, uh, and who actually wanted to help out the smaller restaurant players in, in Ontario. And um, I got to say that, um, you know, the whole thing around moving from, you know, kind of understanding the produce aspect and, you know, I can go on another tangent around the whole idea of, you know, food getting sent to your house and then you have to make it yourself instead of going to the grocery store and picking up certain things, but they give you the actual recipes and meals. But I think this whole idea of just getting product to the customer, you know, at home is becoming more and more the the main idea, right? Whether it's through Skip the Dishes, through Uber Eats, or through these food vendors that want to just provide you with meals in a, in a box and you make them at home. Um, you know, it's really interesting to see this dynamic about, you know, online being the driver and then how does it get to you? And it seems to be the constant challenge. And I think that, you know, that goes to the point of omni-channel because there's still all these avenues where you can pick up products, but ultimately people just really want ease and convenience. And delicious food. Yeah, that too. Come on, Duncan Stewart, you're going to chime in on this, please. And then I have one quick statement from you, Sean, I want to bring up before we go to predictions. Duncan, you're up. Go ahead. Yeah, so just really short, um, I want to do a little myth busting, and it's talking about getting stuff to consumers faster. So I'm back to the Wizard of Oz. Remember the Wicked Witch with her monkeys and the flying monkeys fly, my pretties fly? I want to push back on drones just a little bit. Um, I love drones. Drones are amazing for surveying power lines, uh, for delivering things to remote, perhaps indigenous communities here in Canada, but they're not real great for groceries or most retail. Most of that stuff, the economics don't work. The batteries aren't good enough. So I think where I'm going with this, Bonnie D, is, is that last mile, it's going to be done by the guy in the station wagon delivering you grapefruit juice by accident for a little while now. The idea that we are near some tipping point where drones just take over and eliminate all those problems, that's that's years, if not decades away. Interesting. Very. There's a, I'm, I'm sending notes to Hasmin in the chat here. We have to do a show on the edge. Now we have to do a show on drones. We're coming up with all that she's saying. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much. Marcella, I want to just quickly bring in a statement from Sean that I don't think we talked about yet. Just a quick one. We're almost at the end of the show. Sean says, the use of augmented reality will be more prevalent to make the user feel like they are shopping in the store and virtually trying on clothes and other items to simulate the brick and mortar shopping experience. Sean, can you give us about 90 seconds of this one? It's very interesting. Sure. So, so I think this one's a really interesting topic because as much as people don't want to go to stores, they still want to feel like they go to the store. <laughs> and, and that's a crazy dynamic to be in. And, you know, especially for clothes shopping or shoe shopping or things of that nature. And if you don't get a feel for what that is before you buy it, and ultimately I know a lot of people that go and they buy a whole whack of things online and send back half of it. And, uh, and that's not really very efficient either. And so the use of augmented reality, what that's going to do is it's going to change the game a little bit. And hopefully it'll refine people's choices to be able to feel more comfortable with what they're buying because they see it on a virtual picture of themselves and, uh, and be able to actually say, you know what, that looks good on me or I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that and I'm going to buy it and then bring it home or get it sent home. But, um, you know, technology like, um, you know, kind of the augmented reality pieces is, is interesting because people still have a hard time putting something on their head to be able to do it. But if they can do it through their phone or their iPad or some app, 
then it's a whole lot easier. And I think that's where the world of retail is going to go to try to make it more of a personalized experience and more of a better way of buying and really understanding what the customer wants. Thank you. And Duncan raised his virtual hand and said, I want to talk about augmented reality. Go ahead, Duncan. I can give you just about a minute, please. We did. Deloitte did a big survey, 15 countries worldwide. We found a lot of consumers around the world were really interested in shopping via AR on their phones. No headsets, no headsets. People hate headsets. But one of the really cool things is that there was a gender divide. Women were more interested in looking at makeup and clothes using AR, but when it came to furnishing homes, things like carpets and furniture, believe it or not, men were either just as or in some countries 10 points more interested in using AR for home stuff. Uh, cars as well. Sit in a car and picture what it looks like with this feature or that feature. That was a guy thing. So this whole idea of AR is the future is a true but has some weird gender twists so keep your eye on that one very very interesting i think we have, we have three minutes left if i give you each one sentence for prediction could you do that crystal ball remember no politics you can predict sports you can predict something about retail which we've been talking about and customers for life okay marcella cordero one sentence keep it short go yeah i think um, smaller players could um, benefit from differentiated marketplaces and maybe a big player could help on that, That, yeah, to give them Thank a platform you. to sell. It's the first time I've asked a, a, a panelist to give a one-sentence prediction and they actually did one sentence. Bravo to you, Marcel. You get the one-sentence award. <laughs> Sean Carnwright, go ahead, predict. Yeah, I, I think that the advent of... Um, you know, social media and the change of Facebook with this meta universe piece is going to have a very big impact on what retail looks like uh, in the next five years. Wow. Another one sentence winner. Duncan, can you take most up that mantle? Go ahead. The most important technology in the world today is artificial intelligence and retailers use it all the time. But up until now, it has been largely unregulated. That's about to change. Regulators around the world are not just saying you need to be more careful. They are actually going to forbid the use of certain AI technologies. And that's going to be a really different world than we've had for the last decade. Wow. Very, very interesting. Hasmin Bolanos in the background, I think you've got about eight new topics for the shows if you want to continue on the retail theme. Thank you so much to our three esteemed panelists. I have enjoyed meeting you speaking with you, and I've learned a lot from you, a lot of takeaways today. Marcella, thank you so much. Brilliant input and great conversation starters. Sean Carnwright, the same compliment, wonderful, and Duncan Stewart. It's the Duncan Stewart Show. Duncan, <laughs> you need your own TV show. I'll help you get started. I probably have all of them already. And a thank you to uh, Hasmin Bolanos, as I said already, and also to Helen Tomas at Deloitte for sponsoring the show, and to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire. Aaron started out three years ago working with me. He was 26. He's now 62, but he's okay. We'll, we'll get him some help soon. Anyway, Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Thank you so much. This has been the Kinetic Enterprise Built to Evolve. That's exactly what we talk about. We are live every other Friday here on the Voice America Business Channel. Everybody wave goodbye. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.